All right. Well, like I said, we started a series um, a couple weeks back called Hearing from Him. This is the third part. Let's go ahead and look at Romans 8, verse 14. Romans 8, verse 14. It says, For as many as are led... By the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In the New Living Translation, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. In the Common English Bible, verse 14 says, All who are led by God's spirit are God's sons and daughters. And then verse 16 says, The same spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 14, it says, All who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. So this means all God's children can hear Him and be led by Him. If, we're, if we weren't hearing from Him, then we wouldn't be God's sons and daughters. You, say, you could say, well, I, I'm not hearing from Him. According to this scripture, if you're God's child, you are. He's speaking. And we can hear from Him. We can be led by the Spirit. Now you say, well, somebody could say, well, I, I'm not. Well, that's the first thing we have to change is agree with what He said. We're going to read here in a moment uh, another verse where He says, uh, My sheep hear My voice. So we need to, regardless of what we see, regardless of what we feel, regardless if we feel we've made five mistakes, five bad decisions in a row, that's absolutely the, the best time and the most critical time to say, I hear the voice of God. That is not the time that you start saying, well, I just can't seem to hear him. No, we need to agree with what the Bible says, and he's right. How many of you know he's right? And if he said that we can be led by him, then we need to believe that. Uh, verse 16 says, The same Spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. So how do we know that we're children of God? Number one, we, we uh, believe the Word and we act on it, and we say, according to the Word of God, uh, I'm saved, I'm a child of God. But number two, verse 16 says, The same Spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. So His Spirit is agreeing. The New King James says, bears witness. Uh, in the Amplified, let's look at the Amplified in verse 16. It says, the Spirit Himself thus testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we are children of God. Notice that it says, testifies together with our own spirit. So this is saying that the Spirit of God is 
agreeing, is testifying, is bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Notice it didn't say that, it, that the Spirit of God agrees with your head. It didn't agree with your flesh, your body. It agrees with your spirit that we're children of God. And this is how God leads us by our spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. We're just going to look at this briefly. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just a few verses down from where we were just after John. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it says spirit, soul, and body. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. The spirit is the, is the real you. Your spirit is your inmost being, the part that identifies uh, with God, that's recreated when you're born again, the part of you uh, that you communicate with God, with which you communicate with God. Your mind, or your soul, is your mind, will, and emotions. You have a soul, but that's not you, per se. The core of you is your spirit. You have a, a, a soul, and you live in a body. Your, your body is going to go into the ground when you die, and you're going to have a new body, the Bible says, uh, eventually, God's going to recreate and, and bring together a new body for us. But right now, our body is just our earth suit. It's just what we get around with on this earth. But what we have to understand is that God is not speaking to us through our body. He's not speaking to us through our mind. Now, it can how He speaks to us can come up in thoughts, but really the communication path is through your spirit, through your heart. You can, of course, read the Bible, and it's coming through your eyes, communicating with your brain, but how God is speaking to you then and quickening that word and quickening that uh, truth is through your heart, is through your spirit. You don't, God is not a mind. God is a spirit. God is not a body. He's a spirit. He communicates with us by... His spirit to our spirit. And that's what it said in Romans uh, 8.14, is that, uh, or in 16, that the, the spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. He doesn't explain it to you, your mind. See, this is where people miss it sometimes, is that they're trying to relate to God with their mind, trying to figure Him out. Now, He gave us a mind, He gave us a brain, a brain, but you're, that's not how you relate to him. He gave you a body, but that's not how you relate to him. You can, yes, we can raise our hands and praise him, but this isn't, raising our hands isn't true worship. It's an act of worship, but worship is from the heart. How many know you could do this all day long at a football game? Yeah. That means you're worshiping God. You could be doing this and mouthing words that are praise to God, and your heart be on what you're going to do this afternoon. You know, if it's on Sunday, that doesn't have it. That outward 
uh, expression doesn't mean that's worship, doesn't mean it's connecting with God. And some people, they, they, they try to connect with God on the outward. They're going to do a dance or whatever. There's nothing wrong with dancing, uh, you know, in certain contexts. Uh, to, to God, people do certain things like that. There's nothing wrong with playing instruments and singing, but that's not worship in and of itself. It's an act of worship, but true worship, it says in John 4, true worshipers must worship Him in a spirit and in truth. So we need to understand when God is speaking to us, we're talking about hearing from Him, we need to understand the communication path is through our heart, is through our spirit, number one. Let's look quickly um, related to this at uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'll put this up. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, uh, it's saying here, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, or born again, or a child of God, when you became, when you were saved, we use these terms, they're biblical terms, but saved, born again, become a child of God, what it means is you are in the family of God, but the term born again is telling what part of you is born again? And here it says, He is a new creation. Well, when you, be, when you come into the, the family of God, what part of you is a new creation? Well, it's not your body. You know, if you came to the altar, you came to a service, and, you know, they, they, uh, there, there was the, the gospel preached, and an individual uh, d- made the decision to... Uh, believe Jesus, believe on what Jesus has done, and became a child of God, they look the same after that decision as they did before. Right? They have the same color eyes, same color of hair, same color of skin, you know, etc. That wasn't made new, which it was in some ways, right? But you wouldn't want it to be completely made new. That means all of a sudden you're a baby, and your brain is brand new but knows nothing. I don't want to go back. We'll relearn everything. What about your mind? I mean, your body is the same, but we just said your mind. What if your mind was made new? Who are you? know, what's my name? I, don't, I can't even understand you because I don't know any English anymore or language. I, I'm, I'm erased. So no, your spirit is made new. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What part of us? Your flesh is the righteousness? No. Your mind, you have to renew your mind to the word of God. No, your spirit is made the righteousness of God. This is the part of us that God uh, communicates with. So we need to understand this so that we know how we're approaching God. Because in this day and age and pretty much for all time, but especially now, uh, people are very centered on visual. They're centered on what they hear, what they see, what they can touch, sensory, you know? I mean, you talk about, I hear this all the time, people's attention spans, especially children's attention spans, how they're so short. Now, well, because they're always looking at something or video or whatever, so... um, they're not able to concentrate. And adults, too. You know, we're not going to... Well, I'm not going to go in a certain direction, but, you know, people, 
path. People uh, don't necessarily want to focus on, on, on things, but they're very uh, conscious of uh, what they see, what they can understand, entertain me. You know, uh, I wanted to... I want it to give me goosebumps here, and I want it to give me, you know, figurative goosebumps in my mind. But, you know, let me hear a new thing, or, well, I've already heard that, or I've already seen something like it, so I'm going to check out. And so very much mind and flesh oriented. Well, when you're, you're dealing with God, we need to understand that's not how you relate to Him. So some people think that I had, I, you know, something was said and God's name was tacked onto it. In other words, somebody was preaching or something, or they got a quote-unquote word from somebody, and it gave them goosebumps, so it must be God. That has nothing to do with it. Zero. Well, I just this song just, I, you know, I, I just, just gives me chills, so it must be anointed. has nothing to do with it. might just be the cool chords. Really? And one thing that gives you chills might be, you know, somebody else, they, they can't stand it. Now, there is an anointing. There is the Spirit of God, but it doesn't have, it doesn't have anything to do with these fleshly things. I'm not, I'm not knocking any form of music, but, you know, let's be honest. You, you may love a certain genre of music, certain form of music, certain parts of the country like certain types of of music, other parts of, the, of the, the country aren't necessarily so prone to it and, and don't like it, and individually, right? You got different types. You got a rock feel, you got a country feel, you got very classical feel. Some of those things, you, know, pe- uh, you, you play a certain type of song and people are thinking, oh, well, I'm in heaven because of the type of song, and it could be very, actually, just natural. And if you didn't hear, if somebody, you know, I, I, I will say this, if you didn't understand the words and you told them it was a Christian song, they could think this is so anointed, and then you tell them, actually, the words are completely secular. But they're, they're getting caught up emotionally in the music. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so our, our, our uh, society is very much visual, you know, audio, just but entertain me. Look at the movies we have. and so Look at the, the streaming services we have. The credits are rolling. The credits have just started rolling and they pop up another thing. Do you want to watch this next? You know what I'm talking about? So that, and you know, YouTube, good night. It's dangerous. You could spend way more time than you ever intended spending because you just were going on there to watch a three-minute video that somebody sent you and the next things that they pop up or they put in your recommended are like that, and you're like, well, that looks really interesting. And I want to click on that to see just what happens, and then you do that, and then the next one pops up with something else, one after another. Don't look at me so holy. It's true, right? It pulled, you know, and they start figuring out, what, what, do, you, what do you like to look at? Well, that's, you just got to manage it and say, well... I'm going to look at this thing for a certain purpose, and then that's it. Or you just don't do any of it. But my point is people are very driven by these type of things, and then they try to relate to God, and they're trying to do it through natural means. I want to understand Him. 
well, you can understand some things about God. He gave us his word. But what if I don't understand everything about what he's telling me? Well, is that God speaking to me or not? Well, if you're trying to figure everything out, I'll tell you right now, you're not going to be able to figure everything out with the Lord. That doesn't mean we can't understand some things from his word. Of course we can. But if you think you're going to understand everything about God now with your finite brain, you're fooling yourself. That will not happen. I'll just save you the trouble. No, we can't understand everything about him. And then if he's telling you to do a certain thing, why well, want to understand before I go? Well, that would do away with faith. You just might as well forget that too. Well, I want to know before I step. You can stand there all day and be that place in your life for the rest of your life and go on to be with him and then ask him about it. But he's not going to move because you want to understand it. Well, it just doesn't make me feel good. I'm not sure about this. What, is that? what does that have to do with it? We need to understand that God doesn't speak to us through these other avenues. Through our mind, <clears throat> through our flesh. In other words, we can hear things through our mind, you know, through our ears and our mind. We can see things, but what we're looking for is what Romans talked about in Romans 8, is a bearing witness, a peace, a, a communication on the inside through our spirit uh, that he is, <clears throat> that we're going the right direction. Colossians 3.15. Well, before we read Colossians 3.15... Just to make this comment on Romans 8 and verse 16. Um, actually, I'll read, I think I'm going to read this um, account here. As I'll say it, well, I'm, I'm reading from How You Can Be Led by the Spirit of God by uh, Kenneth E. Hagan. And Jesus appeared to him, to Brother Hagan, eight times. And this is one of the times he did. He actually had a conversation with, with the Lord. You don't seek visions. You don't seek that. But, but Brother Hagin was a prophet. Brother Hagin walked as a New Testament prophet of God. And, and, and God communicated with him in these ways. But everything, Brother Hagin would say this. When he would even talk to what, when Jesus was talking to him, you have to give me scripture for anything you're saying. You don't go by an experience. I don't care how spectacular it is, you don't, you could have uh, an experience that's supernatural and it's spectacular, but you got it, you have to judge it by the Word of God. But I want to read you this, uh, this account in, in here, this is what we're talking about. So he, he's saying that Jesus was talking to him, um, had just started talking to him, and he, and he said it was concerning the ministry of the prophet. Jesus sat there, sat there in that chair and talked to me for an hour and a half, and I talked to him. I asked questions in reference to what he was saying. He answered them. I will not go into all he said about the prophet's ministry. That is another message, but I will get into some of it. Jesus said to me, the prophet of the New Testament is very similar to the prophet of the Old Testament in that the prophet of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, was called a seer because he saw and knew things supernaturally. The prophet of the New Testament also sees and knows things supernaturally. But the prophet of the New Testament does not have the same status as the prophet of the Old Testament. 
in that I did not set prophets in the church to guide the church. A Christian under the New Testament need not seek guidance through prophets. He might receive guidance, he might receive guidance through prophets, but he should not seek it. It is unscriptural to do so. The ministry of the New Testament prophet in this area is only to confirm what people already have in their own spirits. No, this isn't my, my focus to teach on, on this particular part, but we have to understand, because there's a lot of, there's different teaching that has floated around for years. You understand nothing that you hear in this day and age is actually new when it comes to spiritual things. It's just a recycling of things that have come. They come every few decades. They get repackaged, and people think they're hearing some new revelation, and they're not. It's not new. It's, it's, in the word of, it's either in the Word of God or it's not. And if it was wrong 30 years ago, it's still wrong now. But you have new people that have heard it for the first time, and then they start to think, ooh, this is something new. We haven't heard this, and we have this new revelation. If anybody tells you that, you, it's one thing to say, I am getting a revelation of the Word of God. It's another thing to say, there's this new thing. It's not new. And so people have emphasized, overemphasized prophets and apostles and saying you need these certain things in order to be fully functional and it's not scriptural that's not my purpose to do that <clears throat> but you do not need a prophet to guide your life you need the word of god and the spirit of god you should sit under a pastor a pastor is not subject to a prophet or apostle did you hear me the the pastor is the highest authority in a local church there is no, you don't have to report to an apostle. There is not a prophet that has to come in and oversee. That's unscriptural. That's another message. <clears throat> you ever have any questions about that, come talk to me. But uh, that's, just not, that's just not biblical. Now, there's structure of, you know, accountability and all that, that type of stuff. Like I, for instance, I have um, <clears throat> a district director that, that I, uh, there's a district of several states out here. And so I have a district director, and I have a regional director uh, for this northeast region. And then um, there's a person over the, uh, this is for the, the RAMA uh, licensing. Um, and then there's a person that's over the, it nationally, and of course the head of it all is Pastor Hagen. So, but that, they don't tell us what to do. They don't tell you what to do in your church. You're there for, for you to call them and to get uh, counsel if you want. And, um, you know, we report back to them on certain things annually for your credentials and all that, but they don't tell you what to do, and they, they won't. Brother Hagen always would say, even if I give you a word, if it doesn't bear witness with, with, with what you already have in your own spirit, throw it away. Throw it out. So anyway, <clears throat> he says under the, the old covenant, only the priest, prophet, and the king were anointed by the Holy Spirit to stand in those offices. What you would call the laity did not have the Spirit of God upon them or in them. Therefore, under the Old Covenant, people would seek guidance through the prophet because he had the Spirit of God. So the Old Testament prophet is different than the New Testament prophet. The Old Testament prophet was God directing his people through the, pro the prophet's office. That's not the way it is in what we are under now in the New Covenant. You're not to seek direction from prophets. You don't need a word for every move you make in your life. If you ever have a word, whether it's through me or some guest speaker or somebody else, if it does not bear witness with something that you already have in your heart, throw it away. At least put it on the shelf. If there's something, because it may be something you realize 
that I was, there was something there and I, I wasn't thinking about it at the time and it really, it, it's drawing out. But if it's something like, I'm going in this direction, all of a sudden you get this word that you're supposed to go over here and you've never had that thought, it doesn't bear witness with your heart, just throw it away. You're not to receive direction. In other words, you're not to say, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do with my life. Gee, I was going over here, but now that this guy gave me a, or God gave me a word through this man, now I'm supposed to chuck all that and go over here. No, I would very, very, uh, be very, very careful with any of that. Because <clears throat> that's not how God leads his children. God bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. Under the New Testament, thanks be to God, we only have the Spirit of God upon us. We, we, we not only have the Spirit of God upon us, we have Him in us. Jesus also said to me, under the New Covenant, it does not say as many as are led by prophets, they are the sons of God. The New Testament says for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Then He said the number one way, the primary way that I lead all my children is by the inward witness. Now, because I'm referring to some of these things and, and I, I'm, I'm giving you scripture with it, but I wanted to read some of this and I'm going to read a little more. But he, he calls it, Brother Hagin would always call it the inward witness and that's what I'll refer to it, the, the witness of the Spirit of God um, bearing witness with you. That's what the Word says, bearing witness with your spirit. But I want you to understand uh, this, this all is in scripture, but it also came through a New Testament prophet as as um, illumination of what the scripture says to the body of Christ. And it's, it's very, um, it just brings the, the, the scripture alive in some areas. Jesus is dealing with him, and I'm going to read you a few things. He was telling Brother Hagin, look, this is how I lead my people, and I'm going to give you some examples in your own life of what was going on. You were perceiving it, but you didn't recognize it. And he was bringing some teaching out what was already there and um, <clears throat> just illuminated. Jesus explained to me, okay, so he said, then the number one way, the primary way that I lead all my children is by the inward witness. I am going to show you how that works so you won't make the mistakes you have made in the past. Jesus explained to me that to stand in the office of the prophet, one is, uh, first of all, a minister of the gospel, separated and called to the ministry with the call of God upon his life. Secondly, he has at least two of the revelation gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits, plus the gift of prophecy operating in his ministry. Then he called my attention to something that, he, that had been happening to me for the previous three days. For the past three days, I had sat down to write a letter to a pastor confirming a date to hold a meeting for him. Somehow the first day I got about half a page written, then I tore it up and threw it in the wastebasket. The next day I did the same thing. The third day I did the same thing. Then it was the day that the Lord was here in the room talking to me. Jesus said, you see me sitting here talking to you. This is a manifestation of the spirit uh, called the discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits is seeing into the spiritual realm. This is the prophet's ministry and operation. You are seeing into the realm of the spirit. You see me. You hear me talking. I am bringing you through the vision a word of knowledge and also a word of wisdom. I am telling you not to go to that church. The pastor would not accept the way you would minister when you got there. But I am never going to lead you this way again. He never has, and that was many years ago. 
This is when he was writing this, from, or preaching on this. From now on, I am going to lead you by the inward witness. You had the inward witness all the time. You had a check in your spirit. That's the reason you tore up the letter three times. You had something on the inside, a check, a red light, a stop signal. It wasn't even a voice that said, don't go. It was just an inward wit intuition. Then Jesus reminded me of another invitation. I had preached a convention for one of the full gospel denominations the previous year. Nearly every pastor there asked me if I would come and hold a meeting. I had hundreds of calls, I suppose. One fellow came up to me and said, Brother Hagen, do you ever go to small churches? I said, I go anywhere the Lord says to go. Well, we only run 70 to 90 in Sunday school, but if God ever speaks to you, we want, we want you to come. I dismissed that conversation along with many others. Several months later, however, while praying in the church one day about my services that night, that conversation came back to me. Then every day it continued to come back to me. Finally, about, after about 30 or 40 days, I said, Lord, do you want me to go to that little church for a meeting? The more I would pray about it and the more I would think about it, as we say, the better I would feel about it on the inside of me. It wasn't a physical feeling, but it was a feeling in my spirit. Sitting on my bedside, Jesus referred to this, the more you thought about it, the better you felt about it. You had a velvety-like feeling in your spirit. That's the green light. That's the go-ahead signal. There's the witness of the spirit to go. Now you see me sitting here, you hear me talking to you, I'm telling you to go to that church, but I'm never going to lead you to go anywhere like this again. He never has. From now on, I'm going to lead you just like I do every other Christian by the inward witness. Then the Lord said this to me, which is not just for my benefit, but for also for yours. If you will learn to follow that inward witness, I will make you rich. I will guide you in all the affairs of life, financial as well as spiritual. Some think God is only interested in their spiritual well-being and nothing else, but he is interested in everything we are interested. I am not opposed to my children being rich. I'm opposed to their being covetous. And then he, he says, um, he said, I follow that inner witness, and he has done just what he told me to do. He said he's made me rich. And someone asked, are you a millionaire? He said, I didn't say that. Some people fail to realize the word rich, what the word rich means. It means a full supply. It means abundant provision. And I have more than a full supply. But uh, what I wanted you to get are the, the other two examples and how uh, Jesus was dealing with Brother Hagen about that and giving him examples. <clears throat> now, when we... In Romans 8, 16, it's saying that God bears witness with our spirit. And that's, that's what I, I, I wanted to, to focus on, is that what, what Brother Hagen called that velvety feeling of a go-ahead, that bear witness, that, uh, for lack of a better term, that, that it's like a warm fuzzy, but not in the mental realm. It is, yes, it, it seems good. And then you notice that the check... Now, I'm not supposed to do this. I don't know why. See, he can't figure it out. He's trying to figure it out in his head. But it's not head, it's, it's heart. Colossians 3.15, let's look at that. There's a whole lot here. We're not going to get through all this tonight. But <clears throat> Colossians 3.15 says, uh, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. In the Amplified, now 
you look at some of these language, notice that, that's the New King James. It says, in your hearts. That's what it's talking about. There's some commentary here I want you to get in some of these versions. But again, you don't, you got to look at that, that how it's, uh, there's some of this stuff that's good. Some of it, I think, you know, it refers to your mind and stuff. But, but keep in mind, the, the, the original language is just heart. Let, in the Amplified, it says, let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him, be the controlling factor in your heart deciding and settling questions that arise. In the Amplified Classic, it says, Let the peace, soul harmony which comes from Christ's rule, act as an umpire continually. In your hearts, deciding and settling the finality of all questions that arise in your minds, in that peaceful state to which members of, the bo- of Christ's one body were also called. Notice what it's saying. Act as an umpire. Settle questions. How? the peace and the leading in your heart and let it settle questions that arise in your mind. In other words, you may have a question. You're, you're feeling to go, and feeling is the wrong term, but you're sensing a direction. You have a peace to go in a certain direction, but your head's saying, what? Like Brother Hagin, you know, you, you want me to go to that little church? It just kept coming up to him. But his head was, what? That's not what I normally do. The other, you know, and likewise, the, the person that uh, he was writing that pastor's thinking he's going to go, and he's like, I, I, I should go, and day after day, but he can't do it. Something's bothering him, but his mind's saying, but, you know, I, I should go. But something's bothering him on the inside and saying, no, don't do it. Don't go. Don't do it. And we need to listen to that. We need to be led by our hearts, not our head. <clears throat> Let's, um, yeah, I'm going to, if you guys are, are okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at a, a few examples of this. Luke 1, verse 1. Luke 1, verse 1, so this is Luke writing the book of Luke. It says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. Verse 3, It seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Notice verse 3. Luke says, it seemed good to me also to write this account. He said, just other people have written, but I have an understanding of certain things, and it seemed good for me to write an account to you of what happened. This is the account of Jesus. That's how the book of Luke was written. 
Notice he didn't say an angel appeared to him. An angel could have appeared to him, but didn't in this sentence. Told him. I mean, you think that a book of the Bible, what will be the Bible, is going to be written. But notice he did not say, I had a vision from God, and he said, you will be my vessel to write a portion of what will be known, you know, as, of the, as the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament. It will be read in many, uh, it will be read all over the world in many versions. What you're about to write is a big deal. And what did he say? It seemed good that I should write this account to this man, Theophilus. I need to set my account to you. It just seemed like I should. And the book of Luke was written. See, how did it seem good? Where did it seem good? Well, you know, we'll read some other accounts. How does God speak to us? He speaks to us in our heart. In uh, Acts 15, verse 22, we'll put that up. So this is after the, at the conclusion of a big meeting where I uh, called all the leaders of the church together and um, <clears throat> there was this big disagreement over how, uh, how Gentiles or those that were non-Jewish Christians should be handled and what we, they should require them to do and not do and they had this big council about it and so this is right after they, they, they're finishing the discussion. Verse 22, it says, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Bersabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote, this, they wrote this letter by them, The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Bar uh, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. You notice that phrase. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do? He bears witness with our spirits. Now, you have the same Spirit of God in you that I have if we're born again. And all these people there, they have the Spirit of God within them. And so, when somebody is suggesting, and James, the, the pastor there, summed up you know, what, they think, what he thought they ought to do. And, it, and then in verse 22, it seemed good to everybody. Well, what's going on? Somebody, somebody's saying something, but it's, they're, they're being led by the Spirit, and the other people have the Spirit of God in them, and they're saying, yeah, that seems right. How are they perceiving that? By what's on the inside of them. They're saying, yeah. I, and if you have the Spirit of God, and I have the Spirit of God, when we're talking about something, if you're telling me something and it's the Spirit of God, I'm going to say, yeah, that, that bears witness with me. Why? Because I have the same Spirit. And the Spirit of God's going to bear witness with your spirit. He's going to bear witness with my spirit. 
what, he, what the Holy Spirit, what is in His mind and heart for, for certain things. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden Then these necessary things, and then he goes on and and says a few uh, items that they were they had decided, you know, no more than these things uh, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you do well and farewell. So they are on something like this. They are deciding how to deal with a whole segment of the population, the Gentiles, all non-Jewish people. How did they come to that? Did they, did they make a list? I don't know. They could have, but it doesn't give any indication of all the pros and cons and think about it logically and argue each point. They said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to do this. Uh, just a few verses down, Acts 15, verse 30. <clears throat> So when they had, were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they, they, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. Verse 34, however, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with others also. So they came, delivered this letter, and then they went back. Except Silas said, it seems like I should stay. Seemed good to him to stay. That's that's not the normal course. Everybody else is going back. But to him, he's saying, it just seems like I should stay. It seems good. And look at the next verse then. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So he's going to go, uh, Paul and Barnabas are going to go and strengthen places that they've preached before. They're going to go back and, and, and preach to these people and strengthen the word and, and, and build them up, edify them. Verse 37, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the, con- then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas wants to take uh, John Mark, and Paul does not want to. And they get in an argument over it. Now, it doesn't say they just... You know, it doesn't say details about the argument but, it's, it, argument, but it's so strong that Paul and Barnabas, who had been traveling together, parted ways. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. So Barnabas said, went, went ahead and he took him. But Paul chose Silas and departed. Now, why is Silas even there? Because he didn't go back. Why didn't he go back? Because it just seemed good to stay. Did he know that they're going to get in an argument and that there was going to be a way for uh, him to travel with Paul? You ever heard Paul and Silas, all the things they've done, all the things they ended up doing, Paul and Silas together? Paulus and Silas singing hymns, you know, midnight, their backs. But Well, there would be no Paul and Silas, necessarily. Why? Because Silas 
it, he was picking up on something. Was he analyzing it? Did he make this decision on logical ground? Well, this is what's coming. I know that in a little bit, Paul's going to need a traveling partner. Could he know that? This is in his natural mind. No. Do you think it, if he did know, I mean, it wasn't some, if, if he did know what was coming, he didn't. I mean, but flesh-wise, he's not being led by his flesh. He is picking something up in the spirit, and he's just saying, I don't, I don't need to go back. I need to stay. The Spirit of God is getting things in place, and there's no way Silas can know this in the natural, but God knows. And this is the way he leads us. God knows everything that's coming. We may not know, we may not see, and if we try to operate purely natural, we have just um, stripped ourselves of one of the most powerful processes, the most powerful uh, just navigation in this earth to be led by the Spirit of God, we dumb ourselves down to just a natural person just like the world is, is working. They're trying to figure stuff out. They're trying to read men's ideas. They're trying to analyze. And here, if we just relegate ourselves to living like that, we have stripped ourselves of being led by God who knows everything. God, but He leads us by our heart, by our spirit. And He's not going to bear witness with your mind. And sometimes that trips people up. If, if somebody would have pressed Silas and said, well, why do you want to stay? It doesn't make any sense. Tell me why you want to stay. Why do you want to stay? What was his answer going to be? He doesn't know. He doesn't have an answer. And you don't have to have an answer. You don't have, an, have to have an answer when somebody says, why are you doing such and such, or why aren't you doing something? If you believe the Spirit of God's leading you to do it, then you stick with that. Because there may not be an answer. How, could, how possibly could Silas give a rational, uh, satisf intellectually satisfying answer to that? He couldn't. Well, but we need to know, why, why aren't you coming back with this? You came, we're supposed to go back. What am I going to tell the bosses? I mean, what's going on? He doesn't have an answer. But his spiritual people will understand. Look how they made the decision with the Gentiles. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So, if you're commuting with somebody spiritual, if they're listening, and it should be enough for you to say, I believe the Spirit of God's leading me to do this. Now, it shouldn't be anything that contradicts the Word. Like we talked about last week, he'll never, God will never ever lead you in contradiction to what the scripture says. So if you can find a scripture that contradicts what you're doing, you ought to seriously look at what you're deciding. If you think the Spirit of God's telling you to something, you can find a scripture that contradicts that decision. You need to look because there's either you're wrong or you're misinterpreting the scripture or you're misinterpreting what he wants you to do. There's something off. But if it's just, well, I need to go over here versus over there, well, there's no law against going over there or here. <clears throat> I can tell you when we moved out here, when we made the decision to go out, to come out, move out to Andover, there was not any intellectual reason I could give anybody. 
Now, that's a long you know, story, and a lot of you have heard some of that. But we, there were some things that were supernatural uh, early on in that process of getting specifically Andover and uh, that being confirmed both through Shelley and myself. And God will do that. Just be patient. It was months. When I had this general area, and, and I talked to Shelley about it initially, she said, no way. We're not, we're not moving to Boston. And I wasn't saying we should. I was just floating it. And it was months before then God supernaturally put something in her heart, and specifically Andover. And it came through to where, you know, it wasn't just me, and it wasn't just her, because what we were going to have to walk through was not going to stand up if it was just me or her. Because then it was like, well, you brought us here, or you told us, no. And so it was time, and, and it, it was over a period of time, but when it came to make the decision, when we flew out here in the middle of January, just to check the place out and to see if you're crazy, and it was, you know, not this cold, but it was cold, and it was snowy, and um, when I, after we just, what we, what we were looking for when we came out here was exactly what I'm talking about tonight, is a witness and a peace. Because if I'm going by my head, I'm already crazy. But, by, but when we flew out here and, and we stayed uh, in a hotel over in Andover, I could show you the one we stayed in. And we just, we, we just, we're just here to get a sense. We were in this very building. We, we, there was a, a formerly a, a indoor playground here that it wasn't there when we got here, but we came into this very building. We walked down what used to be the hall right here. We looked into what, used, what was eventually the place we rented. We didn't have any thought of ever renting it, any thought of any of that. At that point, that never crossed our mind, nothing like that, but we were here in this very building. We, we ate at restaurants around here. We, we would drive around the neighborhoods in Andover, and because we had Andover specifically. But we go, well, you know, maybe it's a general area. We go to North Andover, and it was like, no, nothing. You go over, and it was like, what were we looking for? The Spirit of God on the inside bearing witness with our spirit, telling us something, yes, no. Just like this, Paul, Silas saying, nope, it just seems good to, to stay. We're looking for a witness that, nope, you missed it. There's nothing here, or a witness that's, there's something. And we went up to Methuen and, and Tewksbury and North Andover, and it was like, no, there's something about Andover. Because there was a peace. And we just got a sense of peace. So I wrote in my journal when we were, you know, on the, we were coming back, and I said, with everything we know and believe, we're going to be moving to Andover to start a church. And there's no fireworks. Now I said there were some things early on, but at this point, there was no spectacular anything. It was just, it seemed good, and it se there was a peace, and it seemed like this is what we were supposed to do at that point. And so we took that, uh, that step then and started telling people, but I'm telling, when we, when, we, when we started to tell people, you know, I was, I was at Ramah. And we told Pastor and Mrs. Hagen first, because they're our pastors. And, and told them, and we wanted them to hear it from us and not from anybody else. And then uh, we started telling people, and we would have people ask us, what, do you have family out there? Do you, do you know somebody out there? You been out there? Not till January. I mean, and it was... I'll be honest with you, it, it, I didn't know what I know now. 
I've learned a few things in over 13 years since that. But it was, I'm in school, and I have people that are around us going, why do you have friends? How, how, why are you going out there? I had people ask, have you done your demographics? Why? And the only answer, and I didn't know enough just to pipe up and say this, the only answer I had was, we feel like we believe God's leading us. That's it. I don't have anything else, but I'm, I'm starting to feel like I need an answer. And we had a few people. We told them, and they were excited, and they were like, yes. But there's a whole lot, and I'm not knocking it, I'm just telling you, people aren't concerned most of the time with your life. They're going to react, even spiritually, a lot of times in the natural. You don't need an answer, and to could defend what you can't defend. What are you going to say? What was Silas going to say? He doesn't have an answer. He doesn't even know himself why Paul, that, that Paul's going to break up with you know, Barnabas. Split ways. He doesn't know that. And I was talking then to one, um, there was this class, and uh, we had a, a few is that we'd have pastors come in every week and just teach. And this specific couple came in. And I went up and talked to, uh, I was talking to them, and then I was talking to the, uh, the lady. And we knew them from before. And we were telling, I was telling them about what we were doing. And I told her, because we had known them before, and knew they, they and he, he was talking, the man was talking about being led by the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues, and if you don't know what to do, you know what to do, and these type of things. And I was talking to her, and I said, I, I was telling her some of the reactions that we were getting. And just, you know, I mean, we, we, we don't have any other reason other than we're, we're, we're being led, but, you know, you get these questions, and demographics, and whatever, and she just looked at me, and she shook her head, and she said, you obey the Spirit of God. You do what's in your heart. You don't care what anybody else, you don't, you don't worry about any of that. You do what's in your heart. And that, we needed that at that point. I'm not saying that we were, I mean, we were just going, you know, just going day to day, but, uh, and there wasn't anything like we were thinking about not doing it, but it was just, you know, you're talking to person after person, you're feeling like you have to defend but what we are talking about is being led by the Spirit of God. Doing what's on your heart. What, what is, when we say on your heart, what God is bearing witness with your spirit. Not with what your head's saying. <clears throat> Can you guys just take a little more? We'll, full, we'll finish this up. Uh, Just a couple uh, related examples. Acts 16, verse 6. <clears throat> it says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, this is Paul and Silas and Timothy at this point, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word of God in Asia. Well, I thought we're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel all the time. How could you, why wouldn't you preach in Asia? Why not? 
It told us we're supposed to go, right? But what does it say? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say he appeared in a vision. It doesn't say the angel talked to him. It says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word. Well, how did that happen? You don't have to add to the scriptures. We, it doesn't say specifically. It does not say it was a vision. It doesn't say it was an angel. It doesn't say it. It just says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Well, the Spirit of God could easily be bearing witness and telling them, checking them, saying, you don't go in Asia. You can't say it here or not, but there's a way. It doesn't, because then I'll, I'll show you in just a minute. It's specifically a vision. Well, let's just read it right now. It says, after they had come to uh, Mysia, then they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. He's telling them, some, he's, he's, he's guiding them. They want to go here. Well, why can't you go preach the God? These people need to be saved. We just need to get and go. No. The, the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Now it's a vision. So it wasn't specific before. Well, I'm going to read you another thing with Paul, <clears throat> where you see this, he, he is picking up on something that they're not supposed to do it. So you have in one instance, like, Paul, like Silas was supposed to stay. It can be positive, hey, it seems good, I'm supposed to stay, but here it's forbidden, don't do that. But, but I want an answer. I need, I need an answer. I need to know why I shouldn't do something. You don't need an answer. You may not ever hear anything that was wrong. In other words, you may feel like I'm not supposed to do something, and you have a check about it, and the only thing that happens is nothing. You don't ever know what you missed. And see, our, our head sometimes wants to know. I, I, I can tell you uh, there was an example. You guys okay? I know we're taking a little bit of the time here, but um, there was a, uh, you know, when I was interviewing for a job in 2011, uh, I had been doing contract work and, and that ended, and it was with people that I knew you know, I had known, been contracting out here for years, but it, it had been all contacts that I knew. And I really felt in my heart, we made a list of things, because I'll do that sometimes. A lot of times when I'm making a big decision. I, I, I think it started when I was uh, leading praise and worship in Lincoln. You know, I would write all the songs that we had down, and then I, I, when I start my first set that I ever picked, I was like, you know, the order and how I should do it. And uh, just trying to be led on how I should do that. And I learned a lot just by picking songs and, and being a praise and worship leader. A lot about how to be led by the Spirit of God. When the pastor was done and when I needed to go up, you know, we got to where it was just in sync. I knew he was wrapping up. I knew what he was going to do and I'd go start playing. I knew when to sit. But anyway, I'll make lists to this day. If I have a decision to make, I'll make lists. And I'm just looking for what seems good. I'll say one thing, well, I'm going to do this and just see what happens on the inside. Not what's happening up here. I'll say it out loud. Well, I'm going to go and do this and just see what happens on the inside. And then say another, well, I'm going to do this and see what's happening. I'm looking for a direction. I'm looking for a peace. But I was, uh, so I had felt led at that point. I'm going to, I need to get a, a job in the local area with a commute. And I'm pastoring a church. 
and and I had had the ability to work at home, and uh, it was you know very efficient. But then I'm going to have to go and, and work full time, and I really felt like that's the direction I was going to I was supposed to go. So I was interviewing with companies in the area, and. Um, <clears throat> This company called me back, and I didn't feel good about it to begin with. When I was trying to make the, um, you know, I, I had been filling out applications and, um, you know, getting the interview process going, and when I was looking at this, it was just something was scratching me. It was like, ah, I can't, I don't even think I should do it, but, you know, I need to get another job. So I'm thinking, I can't be picky. I'm just going to go and just, I got it. I'll, I'll go ahead and apply. But it just did not sit well with me. And it just, you know, over time, I'm just like, I shouldn't have, I told you, I, I shouldn't have even put it in. I, I, I don't, it just got stronger. So then I had put in applications to several places, and there was five places, and I felt like, um, you know, well, these are the ones we got out there. We'll see what people call back. And, uh, you know, and, and so one night, it was a Saturday or something, we were on our date, we went and just drove to each place and went to their parking lot. And actually, I was applying for a different job, but the, the job I ended up getting, we were there, went to their parking lot. But I, we went and just drove into them and just see we, how we felt. And when I pulled up into that place that I felt like I should not have done, that it was one of the worst checks I have ever had in my life. It was, it, it, it felt demonic. I'm not saying the place was demonic. I'm saying it was so forbidding. I was in that parking lot and it was like, I do not want to do this. And I don't know why. But then, I don't know how long ago after it was, I got a call from them. And the lady said, we'd like to interview you. And I did not have another job lined up. I did not have another interview. And I said, no, thank you. I, I've already decided not to. She goes, what, do you have another interview? Or you have another job already? I said, no. She goes, well, why, why wouldn't you? I said, I'm just not interested anymore. And to this day, I don't know where that would go. But everything that transpired after that and the steps that happened, I wouldn't have been surprised if I would have. Some, I don't know. I can't make steps. But it would have taken me away from what I was supposed to do. And I can tell you when I did get the job that I ended up getting, I had been, uh, you know, putting out things, uh, uh, applications, and I put this application in, and the next day I got this call from, you know, the recruiter, and they were really interested, and then, uh, but before that, when I put that application in, that day I put that application in, I remember specifically, at that time I'd go out, like, on certain nights, and I'd go to the library at, you know, uh, once a week, and, and just read and, and do things, and I can tell you, I put that application in, and there was such a peace. I just put the application in, did not know that anything would happen. I went, and I told, I was in the library. I was in Memorial Hall Library, and there was such a thick peace. I was, I can show you, it was one of these chairs, and right on by the steps there, I, I don't, I can't remember exactly which one, but I can, I, I sat there, and I looked at, I was looking over my cover letter and I realized I said something not quite right, but there was this peace. It was so uh, tangible that I told Shelly, I'm like, I don't think I could get upset about anything right now. 
if you tried to provoke me. It was so, it was almost, I mean, physical. It was so tangible, and I knew nothing. And the next day, they called me, and then they set up a, an interview, and then that's the job I ended up having through different venues till I started, till earlier this year, and started moving. But there were steps there that I needed to be there. So one was an extreme, you don't know what, just don't. The other one was, there is something here. I didn't know what was going to happen in either one. I didn't know where this path was going to take. I didn't know where the other path, but I knew enough to know <clears throat> that the other one was incorrect. Let me read uh, one more scripture here, or one more uh, I know we usually don't go quite like this, but Acts 27.9 says, Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because their fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, uh, saying, Men I perceive... So this is Paul on the way to Rome. They're going to sail to Rome. And they've already had some trouble... And now, verse 9, now when much time had been spent, now the sailing was dangerous because the fast was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster and with much loss. Not only the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Notice what he said. He said, I perceive. He didn't say an angel told him. didn't say there was a vision. He said, I perceive. He perceived something on the inside. Verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. So Paul's saying, I perceive this isn't going to go well. And the, the, the guy that's in charge is saying, nah, don't, he's some preacher, whatever. I, I know, I've been in the seas. It's going to be fine. But God was warning him. Verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to winter and the majority advised to set, still from there, set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. So after they've had trouble and trouble and trouble, then in Acts 27 verse 21, it says, after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me. So this is later, it's proving out Paul was right. He said, you should not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve. See, an angel told him now. But earlier it was just, this is, I perceive. I, I can't tell you exactly why, right? I haven't seen a vision, but this is going to go wrong. He's picking up on something by the Spirit of God. There's something that's going to go wrong. And he's trying to tell him, no, this is not going to go right. This is going to end in loss. But he didn't, he couldn't tell you numbers. He couldn't tell you, probably speak like the captain of the ship could. What does this mean in our day and age? Uh, you may have a professional, you know, and I'm not knocking, we need professionals, doctors, lawyers, accountants, whatever, that's saying, Oh, in all my experience, I wouldn't be doing that. And you have an inward witness to do just that. Or you have an inward witness 
a check. No, we should not be doing that. And people are telling you and giving you advice saying, oh, you, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. But you have, in your, in your, in your heart, you're saying, no, we don't. No, we don't. We have to be convinced and be led by our heart in the face of something, in the, in the face of counsel that may be contradictory, even from people that supposedly have been in that, that field or whatever. We have to be convinced and know that God can lead us by our hearts. Now, I don't know why, I mean, we're, we're spending a little bit extra time, but this is important. This can save your life. I'm going to read you, uh, in closing, just this account. The same book, I don't know if we get to this, but we just, just read the thing where Paul said, I perceive that the voyage will, will end with hurt and much damage. Paul said, I perceive. He did not say, I have a revelation. He did not say, the Lord told me. He said, I perceive. How did he perceive it? By the inward witness, he did not perceive it mentally. He did not perceive it physically. In his spirit, he had a witness. Now, this is what I wanted to share with you. This is an example. A family of seven had gone out to eat. The family had not been at the restaurant very long when the father suddenly said, let's go home. Why? I don't know. I just have an urge, a perception that we should. They rushed home. A fire had started. If they had waited, everything would have been burned. But the inward witness warned them in time. Does God know what's coming? Does he know what's happening? Yes, he does. If their home had burned down, someone might have said, God did that. He had some purpose in it. No, we have missed it because we haven't listened on the inside, in our spirits. We have not been spirit, spirit conscious. Amen? But God will lead every individual the same way. We read, first of all, in Romans, in verse eight, or chapter 8, the children, those that are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. His children can be led by Him. We can be led by Him. And He'll lead every one of His children the same way. Amen? We don't have to rely on our head. We don't have to say, yeah, but i got to refute you. Questions may come, but we could... Who cares what the... It, who cares about the questions in the restaurant? When you get there and see the house burning, the question's answered. Now, there may be times when you're saying, no, I don't know why, but you just, you say, oh, I believe we're supposed to go in this direction, and the worst thing you ever see, you don't ever hear anything, but you don't know what you avoided. And we need to be secure in that and strong in that and realize we are dealing with the supernatural and the spiritual, not just the mental. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you.